Hey there, and welcome to episode 20 of IoT This Week. I'm your host, Craig Smith. So it's a bit of a milestone for me as far as the podcast goes in that we're on the 20th episode. I wasn't really sure if I'd get this far and, was, and would be able to sustain doing these podcasts on a you know weekly or weekly-ish uh, basis. But anyway, here we are. Uh, again, it's the 20th episode. I enjoy doing these these podcasts or this podcast immensely, um, not only for myself in that it keeps me up to date on the latest happenings in the IoT world, um, but also for all the folks who enjoy listening this listening to this podcast and you know getting up to date on whatever things might be happening in IoT. So anyway, uh, it's been a great ride. I'm going to continue to do these. Um, I'm also going to be continuing to poo to put out videos um, along with the podcast. So anyway, um, again, enjoy doing these things immensely and look forward to many more of these things. Um, but anyway, um, enjoy. Um, so for this week, we've actually got quite a few things to go through. Lots of, uh, lots of different articles to talk about. So let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and uh, get going. So first up on the docket today is an article entitled or titled where the smart is. So basically it's an article about how the uptake on connected homes is actually taking a little bit longer than expected. So they talk about a few things. They give a few examples like Nest, um, the Canary security system, um, Amazon Echo. Apparently there's also a Samsung smart refrigerator that costs $5,000, which I didn't know that. So that's interesting. I don't know why anybody would want a $5,000 smart refrigerator. Apparently it has cameras in it that, uh, We'll let you see when food is rotting. So that's interesting. But anyway, they talk about the percentage of homes in America that actually have a smart device. So apparently right now, it's only about 6% of the homes in the U.S. actually have some kind of smart home device. And uh, actually, this came uh, this the source of this is actually from Forrester. So the research they did, so 6% in two thousand. 15 have a smart home device. So the forecast is for the next few years. So 2016, it looks like maybe seven, eight percent is the prediction. 2017, it moves up to looks like about eight percent. Um, 2020, it moves on up to a little less than 15 percent. Then 2021, it's still just a little over 15 percent. So according to Forrester, yeah, it looks like it's gonna take a bit of time before folks start actually. Uh, buying into the smart home device. And one of the things that was mentioned in the article is a lot of these devices are expensive and they're not necessarily necessary for the home. So that's one of the reasons why they're figuring that the growth for smart home devices or the uptake for smart home devices uh, by consumers is actually a little slower than expected. But anyway, interesting article um, and an interesting read. And then Ericsson Consumer Lab has unveiled a consumer lab report about wearable technology and IoT. So basically the report talks about what the most popular wearable devices are currently um, as they see it. So they surveyed 5,000 smartphone smartphone users out of which 2,500 use wearables. So the numbers that came up with the top five are Panic SOS button, 32%, Smartwatch, 28%, Wearable Location Tracker, 27%, Identity Authenticator, 25%, 
and wearable water purifier apparently is 24%. Some of these things I actually didn't even know existed, like the wearable water purifier or a panic SOS button. So, I mean, most of the time what you hear about is smartwatches, obviously. But, um, yeah, apparently there are a few other devices here that are actually, well, one one wearable device is actually higher than a uh, smartwatch. So, interesting article from, or interesting article from uh, Ericsson. Next up is a really interesting article about IoT and copyright that was put together by Kyle Weens, and my apologies if I'm pronouncing the last name wrong, but he is the uh, CEO of iFixit. So he actually took part in a roundtable um, put together by the Copyright Office. So they basically were discussing... Well, copyright, obviously, but they were also, the article talks about how copyright has actually been twisted over the last, you know, 20 years or so into actually doing things that it really wasn't technically meant to do. Um, and basically it goes, it goes back to the DMCA, which is a Digital Millennium Copyright Act. And one of the, one of the examples in the article is about how John Deere actually puts in their agreement that you're actually not even able to do anything with the software that actually runs on tractors these days. So if you buy a tractor, which I mean, if you've, if you know anything about John Deere, they're rather expensive pieces of equipment. So if you buy a tractor, you're not allowed to actually do repairs on the software yourself. So that's something we've heard before where companies basically, they either void your warranty or they, they, you know, they'll threaten legal action or whatever if you try to do anything with the software running on this device. And a lot of the times, basically what they're saying is that the software, you don't own the software, that you're actually licensing the software. So one of the other examples they actually had in here, which is really interesting, they had a part, uh, something called a cat genie, which is ba basically, it's, um, I think it's a device for cats to actually poop in. So apparently they've got some stipulations in their user agreement that basically says that if you modify any of this, then you void the warranty. Um, and you also could be responsible for damages and, you know, further legal action, blah, blah, blah. So hopefully in this round table, since he was there, also the EFF was there, hopefully at some point they'll actually get around to doing some kind of, um, updates to the DMCA. Um, obviously folks in the movie industry and record industry don't want any of this to happen. Um, since they basically use the DMC as a hammer to actually prevent, um, innovation in my opinion. Um, but they obviously they don't see it that way, but anyway, um, something that's something really good to think about, especially when it comes to IOT, since a lot of the different pieces and parts, um, may involve different and various copyrights from different owners and so forth. And it may be that you're not even really allowed to tinker with your IOT device that you purchase, that you purchase, just like, um, folks who buy a John Deere tractor, tractor, aren't able to repair the software if they want to in their tractors, even though they've paid lots of money for this tractor. So anyway, it's something really interesting to watch as it goes forward. Um, not only in the non-IoT industry, but in IoT itself to see how copyright actually affects IoT. All right, so next up, some do's and don'ts from a LiveWorks customer panel that they just recently did. So the do's and don'ts, as they see it, customers don't want to talk about I IoT. They want to solve problems. 
Don't build your own IoT tools, buy and partner for tech. IoT is about turning data into new business services. IoT still needs engineers, but new skills and diverse teams are required. And then one of the other things they did, in addition to the do's and don'ts, they actually came up with a short list of IoT challenges as they see it. So security and integration across systems and products, that's one of the challenges. The problem of IP ownership with data services customers. Customers' expectations for risk-sharing agreements. A new sales, pro new sales process. IoT may require selling into new groups and lines of businesses. The risk of data services cannibalizing existing revenue streams. So, for example, helping customers optimize equipment use may slow future sales. So that was a short list of the challenges. And then the previous uh, four or five things I gave you were actually the do's and don'ts that came out of this um, customer survey. And then the new spec for Bluetooth 5 will be coming out sometime next week. So... At that point, we'll have a little bit more on the details of the spec. Uh, but in the meantime, one of the articles from TechRadar, they put together a short list. Um, it's going to be faster, hopefully. It's going to work from further away. That's another good one, mostly. Um, there's also some downsides of that where if you're looking to hack Bluetooth devices, now you can, might be able to actually do it from further away. It will be more location-aware. It's ready for the Internet of Things, and you might need new devices. So, again, uh, we'll have some more information on the new spec next week. But that was some of the that was a short list of things that were going to be new um, in the upcoming Bluetooth Bluetooth Five spec that's coming out next week. So, HP Hewlett Packard Enterprise has a new IoT Edge device that's basically supposed to allow. Um, someone to crunch data at the edge without sending it to the cloud. So actually, this has been something I've been trying to get a hold of to actually do a test on. Um, so I don't know. Hopefully, I'll uh, one of these days, maybe I'll actually get one of these things in the house and actually be able to test it. But uh, anyway, something interesting from uh, HPE. And next up is an article about IoT and how it's going to require organizational realignment. So basically, in the article, they're talking about IT needing to work more closely with operational technology when it comes to um, the Internet of Things and how it relates to not only traditional IT, um, but also for folks who are actually like plant managers or facility managers or whatever, how those two groups need to be able to work together. So IT and operational technology actually working together to um, make IoT efficient. And then the next article um, from CSO Align, it's actually um, includes some research by Gartner when it talks about or where it talks about IoT security. So basically the research Gartner did, <coughs> excuse me, they're predicting that IoT security spending will basically go from 231 million in 2014 all the way up to 547 million dollars in 2018. So that's quite a quite a jump in just a handful of years. So either way, it's going to be interesting to see how um, IoT security um, is dealt with going forward because there's lots of different attack service areas when it comes to IoT. So it may come down to companies 
you know, with their limited budgets, deciding what to prioritize um, instead of just trying to attack the whole thing. So anyway, we'll see how security vendors deal with it. We'll see how various companies deal with it. But either way, spending's going to need to go up because I think from, I mean, most of the reports you see in the news a day where there's, you know, everything that's IoT is getting, it seems like it's getting hacked. There's obviously needs to be more spending on um, security to ensure these devices are actually secure when they're actually deployed. And what would the podcast be without a car hacking story? So Mitsubishi is the latest to have a particular model hacked. So in this instance, it was the Mitsubishi Outlander. And this particular hack allowed the a potential car thief to switch off the car's alarm. So obviously, once you do that, it makes it a little bit easier to uh, actually steal the car. So the details of the hack... Um, Mitsubishi, in this particular model anyway, they actually used a wireless module instead of a GSM module. So a lot of the cars use like LTE, so they they're have a GSM module in there instead. Um, but for whatever reason, Mitsubishi has a wireless module in there. And you actually can connect to that wireless module via a smartphone app. So the wireless access point, um, in order to connect, you know, in quotes securely, the Wi-Fi access point used a pre-shared key. Which, I mean, it's not a completely bad way to do it, but apparently they wrote down the pre-shared key on a piece of paper that was included in the owner's manual. And then apparently the pre-shared key wasn't super robust because the folks were able to actually crack it with a Ford GPU cracking rig in less than four days. So again, um, once again, another story about car hacking and kind of how not to do security when it comes to car security. All right, so under the security and privacy check section of the podcast, we have a, actually a few articles this week. So the first one um, is a post on the uh, FTC, Federal Trade Commission's website. So it's about ASIS. And you remember um, back a little while ago that ASIS actually was required to, or the FTC required that ASIS do a yearly audit, I believe, um, for like the next 20 years or something like that because they, because of the just the crazy amount of security issues they had with the routers. <clears throat> so some of the things that were issues as far as what the FTC was looking at when it came to that case back then were how ASUS advertised its products, where ASUS went wrong with its routers, um, ASUS's insecure cloud services, their delayed response and failure to notify consumers, and then the thousands of compromised routers that were uh, part of this case. So basically what the article talks about, in addition to some of the past problems that ACES had, were the six things to watch out for in the Internet of Things um, because of the ACES case. So one was start with security. Um, that should be pretty obvious. Two, design your products through customers' eyes. Three, make it easy for people to select the safer option from the start. Four, heed security warnings. Five, think through how you'll let consumers know about fixes. And six, learn the lessons from other FTC cases. So all these things that they listed here, they kind of seem like no-brainers, but as we've seen in the past with a lot of IoT devices and the folks that manufacture them, they don't seem to understand pretty much any of these points. Um, so hopefully, you know, as the FTC continues to push um, for if, for uh, IoT security, um, you know, hopefully some of these manufacturers will start paying attention to it. And then next up, um, this story is something 
you probably should see or should have seen coming as a as part of all the car hacks that have um, happened in the past. But Symantec is actually they've announced a product or a pro, they announced a product on June eighth um, called the Anomaly Detection for Automotive Product. So. As part of the announcement, they're basically claiming that 10 million cars um, will have this particular security technology um, embedded um, in them by or by the end of the year. So the first part of this uh, particular product, um, according to them, it locks down the system modules. And then what they're gonna, going to be looking at next is actually being able to watch the uh, CAN bus, which is a controller area network on um, vehicles. So, like I said, um, it's not any mystery that this was going to be coming where basically they were going to have like antivirus or malware protection or anti-hacker protection on cars, given that all the um, issues that have come up. Um, I mean, it's kind of one of those mixed things. I mean, it's the same way with kind of computers and, and the products that we put on there now. Um, I mean, they help mitigate security issues, but it would actually it would be great if in addition to these products that actually manufacturers, um, especially when it comes to IOT devices, connected cars and so forth, that actually build security in to begin with so that these products that actually go on the cars to actually wash like their watch, like the CAN bus and all those sort of thing, sort of things can actually be even more effective um, because the manufacturers have actually built in security instead of what I'm afraid of, what I'm afraid will happen is that they'll actually just leave it to these devices to actually provide the security instead of actually trying to um, incorporate security from the start within devices. Um, but anyway, we'll see. I mean, this will certainly help, but um, yeah, we'll see how all this plays out. And then the next story is in regards to the NSA. So anytime I see a story about what the NSA might be doing or might not be doing, I'm always dubious of you know how accurate it is, accurate it is. Um, but anyway, the article, you can read the whole article, but it talks about how the NSA is looking to exploit Internet of Things, and um, this includes biomedical devices. I mean, really, when you think about it and what the FBI has been doing lately, I mean, yeah, it's kind of obvious that, yeah, sure, they're going to be interested in anything that's collecting data at this point. So it's not really a big surprise that they would be interested in this stuff. Um, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how they handle this going forward. Hopefully they handle it a little better than they have things in the past, but uh Anyway, yeah, interesting little story on uh, NSA and what they're doing or trying or want to do, supposedly, um, with IoT data. And then in regards to the industrial Internet of Things, so there's a white paper out there called the Why, sorry, Why Machine Intelligence is the Key to Solving the Data Integration Problem for the IIoT. So basically it's uh, it talks about um, the reasons why machine intelligence is the key to solving the data integration challenge for um, IoT. So apparently, according to the article, um, the biggest issue for IoT, um, the IIoT enterprise is data integration. So the white paper talks about how they can actually solve this problem. So anyway, I haven't actually looked at the white paper, but it might be interesting nonetheless if you are involved in the industrial Internet of Things. And then finally, under the uh, learning about IoT section of the podcast, so there's actually, or Gartner has a webinar um, in regards to, or what it's called, or what it's called is authentication for the Internet of Things. Um, so I've actually signed up to watch that. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what all will be involved in it, 
in it or how good it will be. Uh, but anyways, I, I plan on watching that and then I'll uh, give out a little um, synopsis or whatever in the next podcast. And then also, if you're interesting in, interested in getting a Raspberry Pi 3, um, along with some of the goodies uh, that you can do with it, um, there's actually a starter kit out there. And I think I mentioned in a um, previous podcast, but right now that, that uh, Raspberry Pi 3 starter kit is actually 55% off. So um, yeah, good time to um, get yourself a Raspberry Pi 3 and some other goodies with it too, if you're interested. Other than that, um, that is the podcast for this week. Um, hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, you can reach me on the Twitters at CraigZ28. Um, also, you can email me at CraigZ28 at CraigSmith.net, or you can actually leave a comment on the website. Uh, but again, do have a look at the show notes um, for links to all these articles. And also, I think there were one or two articles I actually didn't bring up because there was so much stuff this week to talk about. Um, but anyway, the links are still there on the uh, show notes. But other than that, um, look forward to many more podcasts with you guys and have a great day.